Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 2. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry. It's a place for believers who want to maximize the impact of their lives on others. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, and today's lesson covers chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. The topic is how to get behind that mask that all of us wear and drive the message of Jesus deep into the hearts of other people through authenticity. You know, some people have an amazing effect on the lives of other people. You just you just get changed by being around them. They have that power. And, you know, if we're going to be in the ministry, and if that's what ministry is about, we need this power. I want it. and I'm sure you do, too. Let's look at Paul's life as an example. He was determined to see people's lives transformed. He wanted what happened to him on the Damascus Road to happen to these people, too. He wanted their demons to be cast out. He wanted their superstition to go away. He wanted their selfish preoccupations to vanish in the light of Jesus Christ. He wanted Jesus to move in and the Holy Spirit to take up residence and to see their lives changed. And he had full confidence that God had called him into the ministry. And part of being in the ministry was to make this meeting happen. So, you know, he couldn't choose the way people would respond to Jesus, but he could create a meeting between Christ and these people. That is the power of the ministry. And he intended to, to, uh, you know, to use his ministry with all of its life-changing power. When we enter into the ministry, one of the, you know, we said last week, the big deal is your identity. You have to say, who am I? And part of that is now saying, you know, that that lesson was about who am I as a person this lesson is about who, what is my work, you know, what model. And we kind of need a model for this. But you really have to get your model right. I knew a guy once, and this was his model. Um, he said he would listen to – he was a pastor. He said he would listen to people's problems, and then he would ponder. Mm-hmm, and then he would take a prescription pad that he had printed on his table, and he would write them down certain verses they had to read and ponder, and then certain maybe declarations they had to say, and, you know, pray like this and do that, and he'd rip that pad off and that paper off and hand it to them, and they'd go out the door, and because he saw himself as a pharmacist, um, you know, I don't know that that's the best model of ministry for us. In the Middle Ages, the church aligned itself with government, and it saw itself as God's government on the earth. And you had some great things happen because of that, because of the very, uh, you know, physically uh, powerful church. Uh, they got things built and run, and on the other hand, there's some of the really worst things that the church ever did was because it had governmental power to punish well, in my own life, I've watched the church go through, and they're not really going through it. They're they're being attracted to three or four different kinds of models of ministry. The first one I remember, you know, when I started paying attention to this, was in the 80s. And it was when pastors began to identify themselves as counselors and psychologists. And churches set up these large counseling ministries, and they began to align themselves with the medical industry. 
and pastors saw themselves as mental health practitioners. And this is when we st- we started seeing pastors getting doctorates in counseling, and we started calling our pastors doctor so-and-so. That wasn't really a very uh, popular thing before that era. And now there's, you know, we got lots of pastors who are doctor this and doctor that. But disgruntled people from their counseling start suing churches, and then we backed off of that model pretty quick because of lawsuits. But today seems like the church is modeling after mostly the entertainment industry. And so the pageantry and the presentation of the Sunday morning service is just starting to drive the church's focus for the whole week. And, you know, some churches just go all out. I mean, they're they're putting a, a helicopter on the stage for a four-week series. It's an exhausting level of work from the staff. And sometimes there's millions of dollars of equipment involved. And the whole focus of the church is the Sunday experience. And then there's the model of the self-help guru that many pastors and their, some, for some reason, blonde wives – always seem to model after, and they'll they'll become uh, authors very soon, and they're going to publish a standard series of books if they follow this model. You'll have one on the successful life. You'll have one on raising, you know, two perfect kids like they have. And then lately, you know, the one about having a sexy marriage. And so we'll kind of throw that in. They're just copying. You know, it's easy to get attracted to what you see on TV, basically. So, you know, sharing my secret for living can easily become the central message of a modern preacher when we're surrounded by stuff in our inbox selling that exact same message from secular sources. And we see so many, you know, what looks like successful people in ministry doing the same thing. Um, The point of ministry is to help other people grow and grow into First, who they are in Christ. And second, to find the purpose for which God created them. And and I hope you hear me say this and, and get my heart on this. Impressing people is not the same thing as transforming people. Impressing is actually a lot easier and it's a lot harder. Uh, impressing does not need the Holy Spirit. Actually, if your focus is impressing people, you're really not going to have any involvement from God at all. So you can pray about that all you want, but the God of Scripture is really not interested in us impressing people about ourselves and our human thing that we've built. Because impressing is about me. It's about me and my unmet need for validation. But transformation, ah, that's about them. And only God can do transformation, but amazingly, he does it through our ministry. So let's dig in a little bit to how Paul sees not just ministry, but the source of power that will truly help other people in their transformation in ministry. So we're in this first chapter of the book. Paul begins his discussion on ministry, not by talking about success, but by talking about suffering. In particular, he wants to talk about suffering as the central common ingredient of the human experience. Suffering is the thing we all have in common because we aren't all championship winners, but we've all been hit hard by life at times. 
I was at a gathering of missionaries a few years ago, and we sat in a circle, and the director of the meeting, uh, it was an honest you know, request, and it sounded good on the surface, but uh, he asked each of us to give a ministry report about our efforts. And you could feel the temperature change in the room immediately because comparison was now there. And everybody felt the pressure to validate themselves. And it got awkward. And I really wished instead that he had asked us to describe where we were suffering as a human. If he had just asked that question and if we had been willing to share it, and somebody would have started it, we would have had an immediate communion in that circle. And then ministry would have flowed. We would have been able to share our burdens and share each other's burdens because pain unifies us. Success divides us. But pain brings us together. Now, the reason, one of the reasons we're studying this book is to establish for ourselves as leaders a proper theology of ministry, a guiding philosophy that will help us establish our identity. And it will determine how we move with people so we can do them the most good. Now, let me just read uh, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our tribulations so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. Our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, you will also partake of the consolation. Paul's going to lift up a new model for ministry. Wounded healers. It's a very interesting metaphor. Now, he got it, of course, from Jesus. By his stripes, we are healed. But Paul applies it to those who've joined Jesus in his ministry also. See, some people think the basis for ministry is the image of the superiority of the minister. Uh, for example, in the in the medical profession, there's a reason they wear white coats. And there's a reason uh, that, you know, they put a pharmacist in a white coat. It says they're above sickness. They are not sick. You're sick. They're not sick. They actually have the cure for your sickness behind the counter there. And so that white coat is a sign to us of their, you know, they've got that. They got that sorted out. And a lot of people think that's what ministry is, like that pastor. You know, I'm a spiritual pharmacist. Uh, he or she has figured life out. I walk with God in some superior way. Some people even claim to have some extra special spiritual juju power, more than ordinary mortals. And they'll give it to you if you come to them. And we're all going to have to make up our mind who we think we are and what role we're actually playing on God's behalf in the lives of people that we're here to minister to. Paul says superiority? That's not how ministry works at all. Ministry is more like one beggar telling another one where to find bread. We can't claim to be the source of the healing. But we have been wounded by life, and the Lord has healed us. And there's something 
This is so important. Man, I hope you get this. There's something about that experience of being set free by Jesus that will give us a spiritual authority, especially surrounding the specific area from which God has set us free. This power, it's a hidden treasure. And most people don't, they don't understand it. Most people in ministry don't even understand it. But it works like this. Whenever the Lord gives anyone something like a deliverance or a breakthrough thought, a total release from the massive failures of your past or maybe brings you to the end of perfectionism, whatever it is, uh, once you receive it, and I mean you really receive it, and you go through your problem and you break through it on the other side, and you are now, and it's a New Testament word, you're an overcomer. You know, he didn't deliver you from it like you're in trouble and you don't know what to do. Oh, God, oh, God. And then he saves you and you don't have to face it. That's an Old Testament idea. But the New Testament idea, it's a brand new word. You'll hardly see the word deliverance at all. A new word there, overcomer. You go through Goliath. And you either kill Goliath or Goliath kills you, but you go through it. And you go through it in faith with the power of God on you. And that's how New Testament people deal with life. We go through and when we go through, we get something from God. I mean, I've got so many stories I could tell you of being pushed to the limit. I mean, pushed to the line where I just despaired. And then just before I really did despair, God gives me something. It's a word or it's, it's usually a word. It's a thought. It's a because God's thoughts are so powerful and they're usually not long. It's like it's not a whole paragraph. It's small enough to be on a bumper sticker. And he just sticks it in my head and then boom, I am, I'm good. You know, I am free from this thing. I, I got the power I need. I feel the strength come into me and I blast through it. Well, here's what ministry is. Here's what transformation ministry is. You go through something like that. And as you're going through it, God gives you a key, not just a key. He gives you, I'm going to say an elixir. You know, he gives you this, this medicine. And it worked for you. It healed you. It solved your problem. For the rest of your life, you have the authority to give that same gift to other people. That's the source of transformation in the ministry. I was wounded. Now I'm healed. So I can take my healing and I can give it to you. And it's just such a powerful Concept. If you can understand that, you are, let me just make it as simple as I can think to say it. Your success is not anointed by God at the level of your deliverance. Maybe I'll say it like that. So, yes, your doctor so and so and that impresses people. Yes, your church is really huge and that impresses people. None of that brings transformation to anybody. Might make you feel better about yourself. Or you might feel insecure because you're not doctor so-and-so, and maybe you pastor a little bitty church, or maybe you don't even, you're not even pastoring, and you wish you were. Uh, but those are human things. What you do have, on the other hand, are your war stories. You've got things you've been through, and that pain overcome becomes your elixir, your ointment, and you are able, you are authorized by God and by that experience to go to people who are having that problem, and that's just what, in that very complicated sentence that I read to you from Paul, and I really wish, for me, honestly, to go back and understand Paul, I got to break his page-long sentences 
and put periods all the way. I wish I could introduce him to the period because it, it would help at least a modern reader. It would really help us understand. So I just break it all down. But if you read that section again and understand what he's saying, that's what he's talking about. You've been given an ointment by God, but only when you've gone through something. So if your whole life is going to be a, a safe life and you're going to live and you're going to hide all your ugly stuff and you're going to keep your little white coat on in front of other people, I can promise they might say, oh, wow, you're a doctor. That's so cool. How much money do you make? But they're not going to be changed by you. I tell you who changes people. Go to a website, IamSecond.com. And, and the first time I ever, when that website just came out, it's just testimonies. It's the power of a testimony. And the first one I ever listened to was Brian Welch from Corn. He's a lead singer, came to the end of his life, drug addict, wanted to die. His wife just OD'd. He's left with this little girl, and God saves him. And, man, when he tells his story, it has so much authority. And then the next one I listened to was this this lady named Karen. And Karen was raised in the inner city, dysfunctional mother. She ends up being... Uh, sexually abused by men as pre-teenage years, got a baby by 13, turns violent, gets into drugs, becomes prostitute, but is also a violent person, ends up in prison. That's where she hears the gospel. And man, when she unpacks her story, if you've got one, you don't have to have been to prison before, but if you felt any of those feelings that she opens up, she's got authority. When she speaks, you feel it. I have I've played those videos for people from different countries around the world. You feel it come in the room. And, I mean, it's a digital, you know, it's a computer file. But when you turn it on and that screen comes to life and that tape starts to roll, it's like there's anointing there. Like a real person is standing there sharing. It's powerful. So ministry, to sum it up, is about suffering. It's not about success. Ministry is here to redeem suffering, to redeem internal pain, the pain that's part of every single human life. Humans have needs. Humans are wounded, but humans are built by God, called by God. And, you know, even when we're strong, we're all right on the edge of collapse. It doesn't take much for life to suddenly spin around and crush any of us. So if you're going to be in the ministry, don't get sucked into this world system. And and for goodness sake, don't begin to promise people that becoming a Christian is a way to avoid pain. If they've got enough faith power or put anointing oil all over their cars or houses or children or any of the other superstitious things that Christians do all over the world, we don't have a promise about a pain-free life. What we have is the absolute promise of the Word of God that we already have the resources we need to overcome even the worst catastrophic setback and finish our life with integrity. You know, that gives you power. You got time? I want to share one more story with you just real quick. We lived in Jamaica. That was the first place we ever went in ministry. We thought we were going to be there one year. We ended up there almost five. When we came into Jamaica, it was a very violent time. Uh, Jamaica is not the safest place in the world anyway, but... It was especially not safe then. There was an anger in the air, governmental upheaval, and it was a time of rationing and foreign exchange restriction, which made things even more irritating because uh, you, you, basic needs, you know, 
were not being met. So we ended up with a spate of crimes in our town, and they were just brutal men. They were, it was no call for it. Uh, down the road from us, they took a, a woman who a little old lady, church uh, clerk, stole the church money from her. Then, I mean, they could have walked out the door, but no. They tied her to a chair, put gasoline on her, and set her on fire. Uh, we pastored a church, and they took a man in our church and to steal his CD player or VCR. They um, they strangled him with his T-shirt, you know, then stole his VCR. We were two kids, 24 and 23 years old. We're living in an isolated neighborhood. We have no telephone. We have very, very few friends. We have no car. There's no one to call. And in the night, we start to hear the men coming around our house. They are talking about how to get in. They are putting their hands underneath our windows, and they are trying to pull them up. I mean, they know we're in the house. I am screaming, yelling. I'm banging on the window. They don't run. They move to the next window. They're trying that one. This is reconnaissance night for them. They're testing our system to find the weakness. And they would come back and they would come back. And it started to drive us crazy. Uh, Sherry started to battle fear. She'd wake up a dozen times in the night thinking she had heard something. She miscarried, lost a baby, uh, would get up and look in closets and you know, she knew they couldn't be in the house or we would know it because our house had iron bars on the windows and all around us. But, you know, it just got in her head. And so she started pleading with the Lord, I can't live here. You've got to move us or you've got to change my mind on this because I can't take it. And the Lord spoke to her and he gave her her word. And she began to live by that word. Well, I was going through my own thing simultaneous to that. Because I feel responsible for her being there. And we had a six-month-old child. And I start having this mental war. And I heard this, this thought over and over again. It said, men will come. They will rape your wife. And they will kill you and her and your son. And I would fight this. You know, I felt it was my responsibility to keep it from happening by faith power. And so I'm believing and I'm declaring and I'm shouting, I'm praying. And you know, this thought will come back over and over again. And that sets me off for another half hour of warring it. And, you know, I felt like I've got to, on my own, I got to somehow rise up and push this away. I'm pleading with God and I'm reading Psalms 91 and I'm praying it, you know, 10,000 can die over here and a thousand over there can't touch me, but it didn't solve my problem because that sweet little church lady, she loved the Lord too. I mean, she's good as I was as a person. What value is there in me that wasn't in her? And I knew I'm, something's wrong with my approach to this. And I said too, Lord, you got to help me. I don't know what to do. Do we just leave? You know, spiritual attack will often come right in the beginning of of your journey because the devil's trying to keep you from making your journey, or right at the end. When you've already won the victory, pretty much, but he doesn't want you to finish. And we were in what we did not know was the beginning of a whole lifetime of living in third world countries. We needed something that was going to come out of this. But one day as I was walking and agonizing, that thought came back to me again. Your wife will be raped and you and your whole family will be killed. And I heard myself say something I'd never said before. And instead of saying, I rebuke you, devil, and going into that a whole new word came out of me, and this is what I said. 
Maybe so. And how long will that take? Maybe a minute, maybe five, maybe 20. They'll be horrible minutes, but that's all they'll be. We've had a lot of great minutes. And then we'll be in the presence of the Lord and you will never hurt any of us again because heaven is the only safe place for my family. And I knew when I said that, that it was checkmate and that that kind of mind game was not going to work on me anymore. And, you know, it was really important that God gave us that because, I mean, we've been through governmental overthrows, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions. We, our family was present at a kidnapping uh, where two of our friends were, were killed. And we've been through a whole lot of things. But what we have never surrendered again is the freedom to own our own mind. And the Lord knew all the places we would be going, and he gave us a key early on. And that has been so valuable to us. And it's valuable everywhere we share that story. It helps other people too. You know, in the ministry, the people we can't do without are those who have wisdom and faith and poise and patience and counsel. You need a theology of pain if you're going to be in the ministry. And to develop one, you're going to have to open your mind to see pain in a new role other than just something horrible to avoid. So if you want to know where true ministry gets its impact, it's not through successes and being a model of how to ride high above life. No, it's in how seriously you take pain in yourself and in others because pain is an amazing teacher. It strips off all the BS and it makes you real. And when you successfully deal with pain in your life, and if you process it with openness and even wonder, and you suck out all the meaning that it brings you, you're going to gain a power. And it's a power that other people need that helps them grapple with their own pain. So if you want to have a personal presence that leaves an eternal mark on other people, you're going to have to go into those dark, bloody areas of your own life and engage them. Not just your life, but the lives of others that you know also. Walk with them through their pain. You're going to need those overwhelming experiences of being caught in a life storm when you think you're going to lose your child or your marriage or even your core beliefs about God. And through that, you gain these treasures. You know, I've prayed for people who are having trouble all my life. And 99% of them just want us to pray that the pain and the thing causing it will stop. But I never forget the day when a man came up for prayer in a church service, and he told me about this awful trouble that he had fallen into. And I asked him, how do you want me to pray? And I was so surprised because this is what he said. Pray for me to be faithful in this time and for me to learn what I'm supposed to learn through this before it goes away. Listen, people need a pain master. Now, they could go to a psychologist or psychiatrist, get some drugs, numb their pain. But especially if they're God's people, they usually come to us first. And partly, they come because we tell these stories from the Bible. A story of a woman with bleeding that wouldn't stop for more than a decade a uh, story of Joseph, whose brothers hated him and sold him into slavery. story of Moses, whose wife didn't want to follow the Lord completely. 
We tell about Jonah who ran from God and found himself in the belly of a whale. And then we tell the worst story of all, the story of righteous Job crushed by life despite his careful goodness. And all these stories have the same theme. They tell us that our pain has a purpose. Even if we create the pain ourselves by our choices, they say that pain moves us someplace good if we'll be faithful in it and if we allow it to purify us. And these stories say that in the end, God always makes things right and that tough times never last, but tough people do. And they say that God is good, but they say that you can't game God. You can't game life. They say sometimes we have to suffer persecution just for being his children. And they promise us that there is a divine justice in the universe, but that sometimes payback comes to the evil and the good after their death. I live in a Buddhist world, and Buddhism focuses on avoiding suffering, uh, detaching from the pain of life by sort of detaching from life itself. But the Jesus way is shown on the cross. It is full of blood and tears and passion. It is fully alive and fully engaged, both with the suffering and even with the people who caused the suffering. Christ refused the painkiller at his execution. We need to ponder on that. Wounded healers. Think about that this week. This is a deep teaching. Well, my friend, that's all for now on Thread. If you're enjoying it, please share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you'll check out medialightonline.com, you'll find the online courses we've been working very hard over the last year to develop. And these courses will help you find God's will. They'll help you grow spiritually, uh, personally, grow as a leader. And we're going to work with you to improve your communication skills 10x because you are the light of the world. So shine on. 